All right. Welcome back to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's up, hey, Todd? Hey, Corey. <laughs> hey, what's up? Hey, oh. So, we're so very excited today because we have two superb guests with us. Jordan Hess, Vice Chair of the Utah Republican Party. Hello, Jordan. Hello. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Welcome to our little show here. And Frank Pignanelli, the uh, eminent Democratic political advisor and lobbyist. Welcome, Frank. Uh, good evening. So good to have you guys on good here. Morning. I'm excited to uh, to talk a little bit about party conventions uh, from the from the past week and maybe look a, ahead a little bit about the general election coming this fall. So if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to go to you, Jordan, first. I want to give you a chance to what uh, share your takeaways from the state GOP convention last week. Todd and I were both there, of course. So how, how do you feel about the event? What stood out to you? What are, what are your takeaways? You know, I feel great about it. Um, all, all of the feedback that we've received, a lot of people have said it's one of the better, well, you know, well-run conventions we've had in recent history. Um, I think there was a lot of um, angst uh, and buildup going into it. People weren't sure how it was going to shake out, but um, we're a young team, and I think uh, some people underestimate who we are and, and what we're capable of. I can't remember the last time we had a state convention where we adopted the rules, the credentials report, and the agenda in less than 15 minutes. Um, mm. We didn't right. have one of those long, drawn-out, hours-long fights over the agenda or the rules. Um, the reason that we were delayed was, you know, this is the first time that we had had some school board races. That was, that was tricky in the morning, getting everyone in the right rooms and credentialed. But once the convention was off and running, it was smooth sailing. And we got out of there before most people, I think, uh, thought we would. So all in all, I think it was a great convention. I think the races um, ended up going really well for most people. And so, uh, like I said, I think we did a, a good job. Yeah, let me follow up on that. So, uh, so the incumbents, at least for federal office, all made it to the primary. And I think the same holds true for, for the state offices, I believe. Was that a surprise to you or, uh, I mean, the media narrative going into it was this is the, basically the uh, uber conservative strike back and it didn't seem to be quite that. What, 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 what was your thought? No, and, and that's what's funny is um, some on the left are trying to drum up that the convention was full of radicals and crazies. You know, I don't think that there were many surprises. No surprise that Senator Lee got 70% of the vote. No surprise that Chris Stewart did well. Um, John Curtis did well, you know, and, and I think it's a testament to who we are as a party right now that when Roger Stone walks out on stage, that candidate gets 18% of the vote and is eliminated in the first round. I don't yeah, that's think the crazy radical that the left wants us to believe. I think the delegates this year were sincere, considerate. They did their research. They did their homework. And, and I think that that's reflected in the outcomes of most of our races. I'm going to push back a little bit. I, I think that um, it is a surprise when a sitting incumbent, Blake Moore, finishes second to Andrew Badger. And um, I've been hearing rumors that Andrew Badger basically lives in England with his girlfriend. Uh, uh, that's where he went right after the convention. So, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I was also expecting a few incumbents to get bounced or, or get closer to being bounced. Um, I will say uh, Logan Wilde is not an incumbent, but he is a former 
legislator who did get bounced. So he's not incumbent, but he's about as close to an incumbent as you could get without being incumbent. But um, I was going to say in that race specifically, I think it was the delegates rewarding Kira Birkeland for standing strong on the transgender bill that was the the veto was overridden. And I think in that case, um, she has proven that she's a rock solid and, and has a backbone and is willing to, to forge forward. Yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah. All right, Frank, can we can we go to you? Same, same question. What what are your takeaways from the Democratic Convention? Democrat or Republican Convention? If you I want to dish on the Republican Convention, you're welcome to. But I wanted to ask. Well, you no, about I mean, I, I write a political column every every week and for the Deseret News. And my observations for Republican, and I've been at this game. This I go to for a long time. I went to the both conventions just because I love I love watching it. Well, first of all, I respect Jordan. I respect all party officers. I was once a party officer. It's a thankless job. It's hard work. But as a political insider, I'm just telling you what I saw. Number one, I saw a governor and a senator not show up at the convention, which tells you something. And you have to, you have to, you know, I'm just saying what, what it is. The second thing is, Jordan, love you. But when your chairman goes to on, on national TV and blast the sitting governor and uh, the sitting senator, that says something. And nothing happened at the convention over that. So to me, what that's indicating you, you, there, there, people could put the spin on saying that the convention was wonderful, and maybe it was, but there are problems happening. When you have a governor and a U.S. senator party get attacked by their chairman, there's no ramifications for that. So that's what I saw at the Republican convention. Both Blake Moomer and John Curtis barely survived the first round, but those, those are politics. Now, Democratic convention. I, I, just unbelievable to me what happened there uh, because you you had – you know, a fair number of delegates say, well, we can't win. So therefore, we're going to not nominate anybody uh, into this particular candidate. Uh, you know, he did well in running for Congress. And so they decided they're going to back Evan McMullen. Now, what I what I said on TV yesterday, I'm going to say it here. So does that mean that if a moderate Democrat runs, you're going to give him or her the same path that you gave Evan McMullen? Mm. Is, is your hatred at least so much for that? I think it speaks a lot that there are problems yeah, with a with a political party that I could understand if it was Scott Anderson or Gail Miller or somebody that's really established in the community and say, we may be of different parties, but you'll be a good candidate because of what you accomplished. We don't know what Evan's done. We have no idea what he's done. So so yes, I will point out weaknesses of the Republican Party, but what the Democrats did, I think, shows dramatic weakness for two things. One, nominating somebody that they don't know about. I can't find anybody who can tell me anything good about Evan McMullen. And the second thing is they're not even willing to defend their own ideology. So, which tells me that, that the convention system for both parties is, uh, I think we need to re-examine it, whether it's necessary or not. Do you think it's a a function of the the convention system that that McMullen was, that they didn't nominate a a Democrat? I mean, you think, do you really think that it's the convention that was the driver of that? I, I think if we had gone to a vote of, let's say, registered Democrats, it would not have happened. I think it's what you had. You had the activists there that because they're so ginned up about Mike Lee, they'll support somebody that they have no idea. Because usually it's just like the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, you have to satisfy the special interest groups. We have no idea if Evan Bowen satisfies a lot of them. What is happening, though, what, is, what I find fascinating is Andrew Yang, the guy who ran for president you know, in 2020, is a Democrat. He's now endorsed Evan McMullen. So he started having to see these Democrats lining up endorsing him, which is mm-hmm. going to be an interesting play out in all this. So I, it, it's, it, 
to me, what it signals, because of the issues that I pointed out with the Republican Party and the issue of the Democratic Party, things are happening there. And I, and I, for a long time, I was an advocate of the delicate system. I am no longer, because I just think 21st century dynamics are such, you get these low voter turnouts of both parties, and it, it, it really is not representative. And I know people can argue back and forth. That's just my personal belief as someone who's been involved in the system for a long time. Yeah, I want to jump in on this real quick. Evan McMullen, I mean, this guy ran to the right of President Trump in 2016 as they, the conservative alternative to Trump. And now the Democrats are abandoning everything they stand for to vote to, to support this guy that he doesn't have a track record, as Frank said. We don't know who this man is, what he really stands for. To go from running as the true conservative in 2016 to the Democrat-supported candidate in 2022, it's just it's crazy to me where we're at. So one more issue about this. You can tell I'm pretty ginned up about this one. So Democrats national locally spent millions beating the hell out of Burgess Owens for his bankruptcies. Evan McMullen still owes over $700,000 from his presidential campaign in 2016. That, you know what, that needs to be addressed. You just don't get to, you don't get to say about that about somebody and then all of a sudden it's different because they're an independent. And I, that, I find that frustrating too. I was upset about the, uh, those charges of Burgess because I, I do believe people have the right to file bankruptcy, but apparently uh, according to some, it's not, but it's okay to, to support somebody that has left a lot of people stranded with debt. You know, um, the Democrats also um, attacked Burgess for really, you know, moving to Utah just to run for office, um, which is not completely untrue. But I just want to tell our listeners, Evan McMullen grew up in the Seattle area. He did attend BYU 25 years ago or whenever for a degree, but then he went to uh, Pennsylvania to get his graduate degree. And he's worked pretty much in D.C. and maybe on assignment as a operations guy for the CIA for a few years. Um, but, you know, other than going to BYU and, and keeping his residency here for elections, I, I mean, does any do any of you know, has Evan McMullen ever had a job in Utah that didn't involve campaigning for national office? Because I don't think he has. What do you think uh, should Mike Lee be worried about an Evan McMullen independent run? Frank, go to you first. What do you think? Uh, on paper, he should be because uh, what you have is if the Democrats show up, they're usually around 30 percent of the vote. And if there's enough people frustrated, you know, Republicans frustrated with Mike Lee, both those that are registered also and affiliated, they could pull off enough because you've got three uh, other candidates running and they tend to be to the right. I get the constitutional American libertarian and something else so on paper he really should be and i've heard some polls that have come out recently that have him almost tied with evan mcmullen and these are quiet polls but i do you know but i think there's some headwinds that favor mike lee one is there seems to be momentum across the country for uh republicans in the in the november election secondly when uh, anyone at the top of the ticket has these resources that they're able to do for get out the vote if you're a Democrat or Republican, you have to get out the vote efforts that come in from national organization. Evan will have nothing uh, on that. And the third thing is, is that the enthusiasm of the Democrats are going to be very, very low because there's no one that really will be really talking. Now, if Evan tries to, <clears throat> to enthuse the Democrats, it's going to turn off the Republicans and vice versa. So I right. think on paper, uh, Lee should be a little nervous and needs to work hard. Um, but, but also, uh, I think 
Evan Buzz for Bell. The thing that Lee needs to do, Lee needs to get a story straight on the text messages. Just get his talking points, stick to it, don't run for reporters, just say, this is where it is, this is what happened. At the end of the day, I voted to confirm Biden. And then just let it go. Well, and let me let me just comment on the text messages because I think that story um, already people have moved on. And I think that those, my suspicion is those texts were leaked intentionally before the convention to try to jack him up a little bit. I think that they backfired and he got a standing ovation. He was clearly the rock star, as we've all heard. Um, but I think by November, those texts will be seven months, th- that, that text story will be seven months old. And I think it'll, it's already getting stale now. So unless there's another shoe to drop, um, I think he's already survived. You know, mm-hmm. the texts were not, did not make him look good, ex- except for the part where he's saying we need to follow the constitution. And if you have some facts, you need to, I mean, there were some good stuff. There was some not so good stuff, like tell me what to say. Um, and I think the biggest problem with the text is the timeline, you know, of what he said on January 6th on the Senate floor. I liked what he said, but that didn't fully conform with what the text said and what he told Bob Woodward and the Salt Lake Tribune afterwards uh, that timeline looks like he was giving some misleading information, but I, I think that he's taken the hit on the text already. And I don't think, uh, I think th- that's not a factor in November. Yeah. I, I, I want to weigh in on this McMullen versus Lee. I think at the end of the day, Republicans are going to come home. They're going to vote Republican. This fall is going to be a referendum on president Biden and the, and the Democrats. It's going to be 2010 all over again. Democrats have unilateral control in D.C. Gas prices, inflation, housing costs, um, you know, this war that's still raging in Ukraine. There isn't a lot of upside for Democrats right now. And I think Republicans are enthusiastic to show up and vote just to stick it to Biden this fall. And I think in the end, that's really going to help Senator Lee. Yeah. That's good. Frank, how do you think this affects uh, down ballot, having a, an independent? I, I think uh, it, it affects it a lot because, like I said, you don't have – usually what you have, you've got a Senate candidate and a strong congressional candidate, so these coordinated get-out-the-vote campaigns. You're not going to have that now with the Senate. Even though uh, some of these national groups, they know that the, that the head of the ticket may not win, they still want to get out the vote. So they, have, they have no interest to support Evan McMullen because they don't know. They don't even, even know who he's going to caucus with. You know, that's the other thing we, yeah. we need to talk about at some point. So, so you don't have that. Secondly, because you don't have that, you've got congressional candidates that they're, they're going to have a tough road to hoe because it's projected that the, the four will win. So basically, you're relying upon, in many ways, legislative candidates who have got to put together their own get out the vote. And so if it's a if it's a tight race, you might get some people out there. I believe that's going to dramatically impact uh, the Democratic turnout because there's nothing for them to turn out to do. Because I just don't see Evan McMullen, even if he's a strong personality, being able to do that. Yeah, um, I think turnout's going to be a huge problem for the Democrats. And let me just tell you, there's a bunch of um, state um, Senate primaries this year, like for instance, for Janie Uemoto's open seat, the only the only person on the ballot in that race um, uh, for the June primary will be those two Democrats, neither of whom have ever been in the Senate before. So I think that the I think that the you know the rate of return of those mail-in ballots is going to be historically low, is my guess, because without a Cal Weston or you know a big statewide race, I think a lot of people are going to say, I don't know who either of these two people are, and, and throw away their ballots. So I, I I think it's a huge problem, not only in June but also November. 
And I think there's some pickup opportunities for Republicans in the legislature. I think Rep Lesser's seat up in Weber County is in play. I think Rep Collard's seat in Salt Lake County is in play. Suzanne Harrison won't be returning. That seat was kind of collapsed. So I think that we'll see a couple of pickups in the legislature for Republicans, at least in the House. And yeah, I just think turnout for Democrats. As you said, all four of our congressional seats right now are in safe Republican territory. So Democrats might not even see a need to show up. The only qualifier to all this is I think you're right. It's a lot like 2010, but also 2010, you had some really crazy people running for the Senate. Republicans were supposed to take the Senate. They didn't because they had the witch and everyone else running. So if Marjorie Greene and all the others say a lot of stuff between now and November, that may incentivize even local Democrats to show up, and it may even stop the chances of the Republicans taking the Senate. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, too, because those kind of things that impacted back in 2010, which I agree this is a lot like 2010. So the Republicans have their job to do to, to make sure they can tap down those outrageous comments. That's a good point. But do you have someone in mind in Utah or are you talking about a national candidate? Because sometimes those, those comments can be nationalized. You know, when someone says something, you look at uh, what's her face, the witch and all that stuff that did help. <laughs> She's not a witch. <laughs> if she had to go on TV telling people she was not a witch. It's always bad oh, news. I, when I you're thought on you TV meant Nancy Pelosi. Uh, she showed up in uh, Ukraine today. So, so Jordan, uh, that following on that conversation, what do you see as the uh, as the challenges for for Republicans in going into this election? I mean, the uh, the national environment is very good. I think the local environment is very good. Uh, do you agree with Frank about about potential candidates or what do you see as I mean, what what worries you uh, going into 2022? I think Mitch McConnell came on. Uh, I think it was one of the, the news outlets recently and said that they've so far have fielded some really great candidates nationwide. Um, you've got people like Ron DeSantis running for reelection down in in Florida. Um, I think that, you know, he's a rock star in the party now. And I think that you know, we've got some good candidates next door in Nevada that are running for Senate there. I think we're going to have some pickup opportunities in Georgia. Um, I think Ohio's going to be safe in our in our corner as well with either J.D. Vance, who um, received President Trump's endorsement, or um, you've got the uh, the current treasurer there Mon, uh, that, that is, is running in that primary. So I think we've got some good candidates um, nationwide, but I think this race is going to be a referendum on Biden. I mean, you saw Chris Stewart pointed out that his primary opponent voted for Biden. He ran away with 84% of the vote at convention. Um, you've got Mike Lee's opponents, one who proudly voted for Biden and another who left the party over Trump. So, I mean, I think things are looking really good for us here locally. Hmm. I, I want to give you another chance to, to uh, defend the convention system. We have Todd's been a critic, and uh, Frank obviously gave his criticisms. What, well, what's your best defense? Well, hold on. I, I've been a critic, but I've never, I've never advocated for for disbanding that. Yeah, and I think we showed it was it was fairly represent. I mean, we'll see once the primaries shake out how the vote. But Mike Lee is polling seventy percent in in the primary race. That's what he got at convention. So I think the delegates this year, yeah, there was a, a faction of them you know, that cheered when Roger Stone came out on stage, but then Jason Preston eliminated in the first round. Um, John Curtis survived with 45% of the vote. 
that was a, a bit of a surprise to me. But here's the hard part. You had Jason Preston and you had people like, um, you know, Tim Alders who were just slinging mud at John Curtis. Um, that, that's really hard to, to combat, you know, among the delegates. But John Curtis did well uh, with 45% of the vote. Burgess, 68% of the vote. I think that um, the convention system this year, at least in Washington County, we averaged 50 people in each precinct turnout on caucus night. I know that varied around the state, but um, I, I still am a believer. I think it, it, it's a great time for us to be able to show up, have our voices heard, get involved in the political process. The one thing I will say though, is we did a, 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 a poll at the beginning. How many of you, this is your first time, a, a full 50% of delegates, this was their first time. And as I saw here in Washington County, a lot of those who attended caucus night and were elected are transplants into Utah. And they finally mm -hmm. show up in a state where they feel like they can be more involved and have a voice. So they yeah. were really excited about going to caucus. A lot of people in my own caucus here in Washington City were Californians who have moved here who have never had a say in the political process before. And now they feel like they do. And so it was really neat to see new people involved and even some younger, some younger voices got involved this year. Jordan, I, I'm going to blow your mind with this comment. You probably won't believe me, but believe, but tell, I'm telling you, I had your job 12 years ago as vice chair of the party. So the average for state delegates, the average is 60 to 65% are first timers. And so if you only had 50%, that that's actually a little bit below average. Mm, wow. All right, you guys have been awesome. Let's finish with this one question because we got to get political. And Frank, I'm going to start with you. Should Biden, President Biden, forgive student loans? Go. Uh, should he? Uh, personally, I, I, I think he should not because I think it's a transfer of wealth. I think it hurts uh, uh, impoverished people because they're going to have to subsidize it, you know, as taxpayers. Uh, what's happening here is what you're seeing is, is it's a political move to appease a group of people. My frustration number one is with the Democrats and Republicans. My frustration is uh, I think the Democrats are looking at this as a way to, to get uh, a voter block. And I'm sure there's some good reasons for it, but, uh, but, but it is a transfer of wealth. My frustration with Republicans and with Democrats is that you've had these federal loans that have been used to finance tuition increases in both public and private universities. And there's a lot of people talking about the value of the education, but I have yet to see a, a good effort in Congress and all due respect, Senator, or in the state legislature, holding these universities accountable for these massive, I mean, it's, it is exponential tuition increases in the last 40 years. They will not, a lot of great speeches, but I have seen no action by our elected officials saying, wait a minute, we have used taxpayer funds to fund this thing, private and public schools, and we want you to be held accountable. So that's my frustration. Yeah, it's out that if you track inflation and track the college tuition increases, it's it's outstripping inflate inflation every year, every decade. It's it's absolutely out of control. Um, and, um, you know, I, 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 I want to translate this. What the Democrats are asking now, let's say someone like me went to college, borrowed student loans, which I did, went to law school and, and somebody else just starts, you know, driving a truck or gets a job at a factory. They want that person driving the truck and or working in the factory to pay off my law school student loans. Where now, because of that law school, I, I have the ability to earn a lot more money. Does that make sense to anyone on this call? <laughs> because that's no, what they're asking what's for. Yeah. 
But what's happening, you have a lot of students that have a lot of debt that can't, they can't get it. You know, you have these, these people graduating university and the baristas, and I get that. But no one's asking this question, but what's happening with the university system? So it's, you know, I get it why to bad mouth the process, but no one's asking the tougher questions. Yeah. So the Republicans, if they're gonna if they're gonna poo-poo this, fine, but then start asking the tough questions about the about the universities. But they're not just asking for the loan forgiveness for the people with college degrees working as baristas, they're asking it across the board. And that that I think is fundamentally flawed. graduate debt too, even worse. Yeah, talking about yeah. MBAs and, and Jordan, do you want to weigh in on the student debt? Yeah, I mean, I'm right in line with everyone on this call. I think it makes no sense. This will hurt the poor the most, those who didn't go to college, those who are blue collar workers, like you said, truck drivers, farmers, you know, welders, they should not have to pay for a a six figure degree that someone went and got. Um, I will say there has been one person that has worked on this issue in Congress. Actually, Senator Lee has the Higher Education Reform and Opportunity Act that would consolidate these loans. And they would actually look at default rates based on the, the degree and the school to better inform where the federal government should be sending their monies to what schools and what programs based on student loan default rates at each of those schools. I just wanted to follow on here and just say, uh, you make a great point. And it's, it's interesting to me how the demographics of the parties have changed because this is a new issue for Democrats. Now they're targeting uh, college graduates. I mean, 20 years ago, they would have been the ones making the argument that Todd just made about why should the welder and the electrician and the the nurse have to pay? All right. You guys have been awesome. That's all the time we have. We'll have to do this again. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you.